Here we are. It is a Tuesday. Lots to get to today. It's a big day for two reasons. One, it's the second day of the University of Missouri story. Second, it is our producer Jonathan's birthday. Unfortunately, he has to sit here with us on his birthday. So happy birthday, buddy. This is Ben Shapiro, and this is The Ben Shapiro Show. You tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. Alrighty, so we're now in day two of the great controversy surrounding the University of Missouri, and we have some new facts at our disposal. So if you remember all the way back to yesterday, you listened to yesterday's podcast, we talked about what happened at University of Missouri that culminated in the resignation of the president of the university, Tim Wolf. He resigned because, of course, he was somebody who was, was benefited by white privilege. And the way that he showed that he was benefited by white privilege is that he was forced to resign for being white which is the essence of white privilege, being thrown out of your job for being white. That's, uh, that's what black privilege was back in the days when black people were fired for being black. That was called black privilege. It's the same thing now, or something. But in any case, here, here's, here are all the events leading up to this. And we now have more information about all the events leading up to the ouster of President Tim Wolf. So event number one is the head of the student body, the, the elected head of the student government. He's a black guy, and he says that he was called the N-word by a bunch of, of white guys riding in a truck. This has not been substantiated. There are no other witnesses. We don't know who these people were, so nothing you can do about it. Incident number two, a bunch of black guys are walking around on campus, and a white drunk frat boy calls them the N-word. He's now been moved off campus pending an investigation and his possible expulsion. So something bad happened, and there were consequences for that bad thing happened happening. Incident number three, somebody supposedly scrawled a swastika on the wall of a dorm bathroom in poop, which having been in a dorm bathroom, that actually cleans up the place. But the but there, there again is no evidence of this. They actually called up the police department. The police department has no record that this ever happened or any witnesses who say it ever happened. So we have no evidence of that. Fourth and final incident, apparently the president of the university, Tim Wolf, he was being protested at the homecoming game or the homecoming parade. And he was surrounded by a bunch of black students who surrounded his car, and his car supposedly hit one of the students. Only one problem, it's all on video, and it never happened. So there were four, count them, four racial incidents. Three of them there is no evidence of, and the other one actually had consequences. The president is ousted anyway because he's a white guy who, of course, has benefited from, from white privilege. Now, I do want to take one moment and point out just the hypocrisy of the media in the way they're covering this story. It's the end of the world, right? Systemic racism at University of Missouri. No one, no one can name a single racist thing the president of the university did, a single racist act the president of the university stood up for. No one can name anything that the university president did wrong. Nobody can name anything in the system at University of Missouri that's racist. People are saying, well, way back in 1950, they didn't allow black people to go to the university. Well, I've checked my calendar, and it is not 1950. I mean, I know this is a great shock to many folks on the left, but it is not, in fact, 1950. In fact, 1950 happened 34 years before I was even born. So I'm fairly certain that it is not 1950 having a working knowledge of how chronology works. But in any case, nothing happened here, but it's systemic racism, right? And it must be covered, and we must all celebrate. And ESPN, which is just MSNBC with footballs, ESPN has proclaimed that this is the, the most important story in all the world. Well, if you get on the highway and you travel just about 120 miles, from Columbia, Missouri. You end up in a town called, I think it's called Lee's Place in Missouri, it, it just out of, it just out of uh, Kansas City. And there's another story the media are not covering at all. This is the story of a lady named Tanya Chamberlain. Tanya Chamberlain is a 43-year-old white lady, and she went to the car wash one day to wash her car, and she ended up dead. The reason she ended up dead is because two eighth graders, a 13-year-old and a 14-year-old eighth grader, uh, both of them black, they crawled in the back seat of her car 
And when she got back in her car, they proceeded to stab her to death. They stabbed her in the face. They stabbed her in the chest. They stabbed her all over her body. And then they drove her car down the road, and the cops saw them wobbling on the road, and they went to pull them over. And when the, and these kids pulled off the road, and they ran for it, and the police ended up catching them. You haven't heard that story because it's a black-on-white crime. The, the media don't cover black-on-white crime. As we've reported here at The Daily Wire, there is no consistent media policy at places like the LA Times or the New York Times for when they report race in the cases of these stories. And I looked at all of the various stories on the Tanya Chamberlain case from the media. Not once did it mention these teenagers were black. Not one time did it mention the teenagers were black and that the, and that the victim was white. The police, by the way, did re release. How do I know they're black? Because the police, re the police released surveillance footage of the 13 and 14-year-old. And they have a picture of the lady who was killed, obviously. But all the media coverage ignores all of that. So actual incidents of racist killings or racial killings go completely unnoticed by the media. Completely unnoticed. Don't matter one whit. Doesn't matter one whit. I mean, imagine if two, if 13 and 14-year-old white, two white kids had killed a black lady at a car wash. Can you imagine the media coverage? It would never end. It would never end. Not for a moment would it end. But over at University of Missouri, they're, they're busy covering things like non-existent racism over at the University of Missouri. Well, the students, the, the precious snowflakes over at the University of Missouri, these panty-waist fascists, as I've taken to calling them, they don't even deserve the title liberal fascists because they're not liberal in any sense of the word. Jonah Goldberg once said that the Nazis, the communists, Mussolini's fascists, they were all liberal fascists because they were socialists. They believed in left-wing principles. Well, these people would be liberal fascists, except they're actually just pansies. They're just panty-waists. And so they complain about anything that has to do with, with them being offended. How bad has this become? Well, I'll show you a tape in just a minute as to what these people actually do, these panty-waist fascists. And, and it really is pretty telling. Um, but first, I think it's important to note that, that this has now happened. Over at the University of Missouri, the panty-waist fascists have now called on the police to protect them against the brutal terrorist feelings herders. And the university police have released an email to the entire community. Here's the text of the email that the university police, Missouri police, remember, all these kids are 18 to 22 years old. Okay, most of them are, are getting some sort of financial aid from the school. It's a state-sponsored school. The Missouri University Police Department released this email. You ready for this? Quote, to continue to ensure that the University of Missouri campus remains safe, the MU Police Department, MUPD, is asking individuals who witness incidents of hateful and or hurtful speech or actions to call the police immediately at 573-882-7201. While cases of hateful and hurtful speech are not crimes, if the individuals identified are students, MU's Office of Student Conduct can take disciplinary action. You got this? If you offend any of these delicate little, little precious flowers over at the University of Missouri, you actually call the cops now. So all the jackbooted thugs are busy wearing Uggs. And all these Ugg-booted thugs over at the University of Missouri calling up all their friends at the police department to whine about somebody saying something that triggered them. This is why whenever the left says, oh, you know, the microaggression, trigger culture, this doesn't have any ramifications. It doesn't have any ramifications until you get the guys with the guns on your side. Then it turns out that the guys with the guns are the ones who are enforcing your perverse, pathetic, mentally ill worldview. And it is mentally ill when you're calling the cops because someone said something that offends you. And I grew up in a country called America, and in America, I was under the impression that we get to offend each other, that this is one of the things that we do around here. But here is the group of, of brave panty-waist fascists doing what they do best. Yesterday at the University of Missouri campus, there was a, a reporter, and he's a student reporter, Asian student reporter, right? And he goes down to, to look at the protests and take pictures of the protests. 
And here is what it looked like when he went down to the protest. And we'll explain what's happening for people who can't actually see. I made it. Can I talk to you? No, you need no. to get out. Well, you need to get out. No, I don't. You need to get out. I actually don't. All right. Hey, who wants to help me get this reporter out of here? I need some muscle over here. I need some muscle over here. Get this reporter out of here. Okay, that lady who you see yelling at the reporter there. And this is not nearly the entirety of the video. The video is about 11 minutes long. That's the most relevant portion of it. You sort of have to understand what came before this on the video. It is amazing. The, 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 the student who's, in, again, Asian, Asian-American, he, he walks up to take photographs of this protest. And there's a big wall that's been created, a wall of students. And in the center, there's what looks like a little encampment with a bunch of crappy tents. It looks like an Occupy protest, basically. And he wants to get in so that he can take pictures of these poor, bedeviled students uh, who, who are under the, the thumb of, the, of their progressive masters over at the University of Missouri. So he approaches the line, and all these students start yelling at him, screaming at him, right? Get out of here. And they're chanting, hey, hey, ho, ho, reporters have got to go, which, of course, is a great and, and wonderful explanation of how the First Amendment works. And he actually says, no, actually, the First Amendment means I can be here and you can be here. Like, the same thing that allows you to be here making asses of yourselves, that allows me to be here photographing you making asses of yourselves. And he's confronted by the head of Greek life, the associate head of Greek life, a faculty member at the university, and told to leave because it's offensive and you're triggering people, you're making them feel bad. And then we get a situation where, you remember when you were a kid, if you had a younger sibling, I'm sure at some point this happened to you or, or you did it to a younger sibling, where you're in a fight with your sibling and you don't want to get in trouble with your parents. So what you do is you take your younger sibling's hand and you hit them in the face with their own hand and then you go, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, right? You've seen kids do this at the playground, it's obnoxious, it's terrible. These students actually do that. So the, the reporter goes up to the line and he's just standing there taking photographs. And suddenly, this associate dean for student life, or Greek life, or one of her compatriots yells to the crowd, guys, we need to step a few steps forward, a few steps forward. The goal, of course, being to initiate contact with this, with this photographer, physical contact with the photographer. He just stands there. They walk into him, and then all the students begin yelling at him, you're touching me, get off of me. Why are you touching me? And you're sitting there watching this going, these are all a bunch of insane people. And this literally looks like an asylum. This is a bunch of nut jobs. And the, by the way, the lady who's yelling at this guy there saying, I want some muscle to get rid of this reporter. I need some, there's a reporter over here, I need some muscle. That lady's name, that, that, that afternoon delight's name is Melissa Click. Okay, her name is Melissa Click. She teaches mass media in the communications department. Right, she's in the communications department. And at one point he says to her, the First Amendment protects me. She goes, oh, the First Amendment protects you. I'm in the communications department. I know how that works. That's not me imitating her. That's her doing a voice, like the facetious voice, like the I know you are, but what am I voice? Right? She does that to the student. To the student. Okay, Melissa Click, who is, again, a professional useless person. Here's what she actually studies when she's not trying to muscle student journalists. Here's what she actually studies over at University of Missouri. Quote, research projects involving... Fifty Shades of Grey readers, the impact of social media in fans' relationship with Lady Gaga, masculinity and male, and male fans, messages about class and food in reality television programming, and messages about work in children's television programs. This is what she does for a living on the taxpayer dime at University of Missouri. And she's telling reporters that they, they should get out of there because otherwise they're they're just troubling people. It's, it's, it's the, the rule of the panty-waist fascist. You must not hurt their feelings under any circumstances. And if you do hurt their feelings, then 
there will be hell to pay. They will call the cops on you. They will call the cops. That's that's where we have come. They will now call the cops. And uh, and and look at the kind of students that are being created here. There's a Missouri student who was uh, I believe she's on CNN. And and when uh, it's he, he went on a hunger strike. And th- this this particular student is the one who claimed to have been hit by the by the the, pre- the president of the university's car. And it wasn't true. I mean, again, there's no video of this. And he went on a hunger strike. And because liberals are, are a waste of, of breath and, and oxygen, the the president of the university, instead of just saying, okay, you know, more food for us, he he started catering to this idiot kid whose name is Jonathan Butler. Here's Jonathan Butler on CNN playing the wronged victim slash hero because that's how it works. In, in leftist ideology, the more you are victimized, the more you are a hero, even if that victimization doesn't exist. And if you're a black person, you're by nature a victim because obviously you're black and all black people are victims, all of them, except for Ben Carson, who's not a victim of anything. He deserves anything that comes to him because he's a crazy right winger, except for him. He, he's, that, that black guy is not really black, so, so he's not a victim. But actual victims like this guy who is, is going to a, a decent university on the taxpayer dime, he's a real victim, and he says he feels unsafe on the campus. Here is the, the, the aforementioned Jonathan Butler. I've been facing issues on this campus um, as an undergrad since 2008, um, and now as a graduate student here, um, I've been facing these issues, and so this wasn't an easy decision to make, but over the past two and a half, three weeks, um, prior to the hunger strike, I really took some time um, with consulting my, my spiritual leaders, my pastors, um, and other mentors um, about this decision, and knowing that I am truly committed to this change. Um, that's what I really set my heart on doing, and it just was the necessary precautions just in case anything happened. And, and, and this is important. I mean, as an undergraduate, you were saying you, you've been facing these issues going back to 2008. You, did you feel unsafe on campus? I felt unsafe um, since the moment I stepped on this campus. Um, but the thing that we've been pushing to everyone is that um, we love Mizzou enough to critique and, and to fight against the injustices that we face at this school. So. My first semester here, I had someone write the N-word on my wall. Um, I've, had, I've been uh, physically um, uh, in altercations with um, ge- uh, white gentlemen on campus. You know, I've had other incidences um, that have gone on. And for me, it's just, I've, I've always not felt welcome um, at this university because the campus hasn't um, been in a welcoming and inclusive environment. Okay, I'm gonna call BS on pretty much everything that guy just said. I felt that this was, I felt this was unsafe from the moment he walked on campus. So why are you there? So why are you there? When I don't feel safe in a particular environment, I leave. It's what I do. It's what most people do. And the idea that there's some sort of vast crime wave against black people at University of Missouri is not borne out. By the way, is there any police record of, of somebody scrawling the N-word on his wall? Is there any police record of any fights involving him and white people who are saying racist things to you? Any police record of any of this? Any records of any of this? Is any of it documented? Or is he just saying it? And the reason I call out the idea that this might be a hoax or that people might make this stuff up is because people routinely make this kind of stuff up. They do. Okay, how many incidents have we seen across the country of people actually faking racial incidents in order to provoke media coverage? It's happened all over the country. We've had cases of, of professors doing this in order to provoke media coverage. And yes, it happens on a large scale and it happens on a small scale. And the evidence of that is that the media, the media are saying that what happened at University of Missouri was originally driven by what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, right, just a few miles down the road. Well, as you remember, Ferguson, Missouri was a hoax. If you remember, Ferguson, Missouri, the idea that an innocent young black man unarmed was shot for no reason by a cop, it was a lie and it was a hoax. It drove riots. It drove media coverage for months. It drove the White House to get involved. It was a hoax. It was a lie. And Barack Obama got up there and he said, you know, black people aren't just making this stuff up. And the fact is, in that case, black people were making that stuff up. 
Because it turns out that when there is a benefit to making things up, people will make things up. It's amazing. We have a media that will vet Ben Carson's knifing story back 50 years, but not a media that will ask, okay, did you ever file a police report? Anderson Cooper's sitting right there on national TV. Did you ever say, did you file a report with the administration? Did you ever file a report with the police? No, nothing. It just We'll just take you at your word. You felt unsafe. Oh, you felt unsafe because feelings. And, and the entire Missouri faculty is doing the same thing. Missouri Associated Professor was, was also on television last night talking about how Ferguson was the catalyst for all of this. Ferguson really drove all of this. There's a Missouri Associated Professor talking about how Ferguson, Missouri really changed everything at the University of Missouri, which, again, has nothing to do with anything. Students have been, ha have been passionate about this for a long time, and I think most recently the, the catalyst was um, last year when Michael Brown uh, was, was killed in Ferguson. Um, our students um, realized that what they've been feeling here is linked to, to what happened just, just down the road. Um, and, um, and so they, they started um, agitating for, for change on campus. I should mention the agitation has all been very peaceful. It's been very thoughtful and, um, and, and, and well done by a group of leaders who have been very intentional in getting um, action done. Okay, so, and you see Wolf Blitzer sitting there nodding along. At no point does he ever jump in and say, okay, lady, you say that Ferguson, Missouri is what drove all of this. You do realize that Eric Holder, the racist Eric Holder's DOJ, his Department of Justice, found that the shooting of Michael Brown was entirely justified on the part of Officer Darren Wilson. You do realize that, right? No, nobody ever says any of that. Right? We're just supposed to take for granted America is racist and Ferguson is racist and University of Missouri is racist. And the left wants it both ways. It's really funny. They'll say Ferguson, Missouri is racist. Therefore, University of Missouri is racist. And then they say, University of Missouri is racist, therefore America is racist. You ever wonder why it is that the left is focusing so much of its ire lately on college campuses where no Republican has set foot in decades? It's like the, it's like the island of Atlantis for, for Republicans' college campuses. It just doesn't exist. It's, it's Brigadoon. It appears once every hundred years out of the mist, and a Republican wanders onto it and then has to make a decision as to whether to stay on campus and disappear into the mist for the next hundred years or walk away and leave behind Sid Charisse. It's... It, the, the, these campuses are dominated by the left, by the utopian left, right? But if you hear the left talk about campuses, which are, again, there are zero Republicans on campus. Whenever the left talks about campuses, they're hotbeds of racism and sexism and transphobia and rape, right? They're, they're rape hotbeds. Everybody's getting raped on campus, right? One out of every four women is raped on campus, which is absolute bull, okay? The, the, the statistical study on which that is based says... Did you ever receive any unwanted physical contact and then counts that as rape? I don't know a single woman who has never received unwanted physical contact. There are zero women existing today who have never received unwanted physical contact, ranging from a guy leans in for a kiss and she turns her cheek so it glances off to he tries to hold her hand to shaking hands with somebody who's gross. Okay, the fact is that, but you count that as rape. That's a bit of an exaggeration as far as what rape is. But the point is this. You look at college campuses dominated by the left. These are the worst places on earth. I mean, this is Bosnia-Herzegovina circa 1995, right? It's the worst place you could possibly want to be, right? modern-day Syria is Columbia University. You never know when you're just going to be hopped on and raped, and then you have to drag a mattress around like Mattress Girl for months on end to get the administration to, to pay attention to you. Then, of course, it turns out that you faked the whole rape story in the first place, but your point has been made. Campuses are a terrible place. Why is it that the left is focusing on campuses? There are two reasons that the left focuses on its own campuses. Again, places they dominate. 
Reason number one the left focuses on its campuses is because if the left can claim that campuses, the most tolerant, liberal, and diverse of places in the United States, are really intolerant bastions of conservatism, then by extension, all of the United States must be that much more racist, right? If Columbia is racist, how much more must Austin, Texas be? Or Austin, how about Lubbock? I mean, goodness gracious. Right, the minute that you move, the, the, the further you move into the heartland, the worse it gets, right? If it's, if it's bad at University of Missouri and Columbia, then wait till you get to Podunk, right? Podunk is going to be the worst place you've ever been, right? America has to be worse than that because this is utopia, right? These beautiful manicured lawns where everybody gets along, but secretly underneath. Just peel away the layers like an onion, and underneath this place is Nazi Germany. Okay, well, first of all, you all control this, but the, the idea is that if this is bad, the rest of America is that much worse. Right? These are the student leaders, and they know. Okay, so that's reason number one. No, reason number two is because no matter how radical you get on a university campus, there will never be any kickback. No one will ever confront you. No one will ever tell you you're wrong. No one will ever tell you that you're a doofus and that you're lying and that what you're saying is untrue. No one will ever hurt your feelings. Right? If they tried this routine, if they tried this routine, this is, why, this is why riots typically happen in Democrat cities, because they know that the treatment is going to be relatively nice. The higher-ups in Baltimore are not going to crack down on the rioting. They'll give them room to riot, as the Baltimore mayor, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, said. Right? They'll riot in Ferguson because they know that the people in charge will basically go, oh, okay, you know, we've just got to give people room. Leftists will allow you to get away with things if you're a radical leftist. If they tried this routine at Hillsdale College, this sucker would be shut down in five seconds. Right? The president, Larry Arn at Hillsdale College would look at these people and say, what's wrong with you? Like, seriously, what's wrong with you? And back in the day, when they tried this at UC Berkeley, Ronald Reagan actually sent in tanks to UC Berkeley. Right? He actually did. I mean, he sent in the National Guard. He sent in the military. When, when the Black Panthers and a bunch of other student groups took over a bunch of the buildings, state-owned student buildings, state-owned buildings, Ronald Reagan sent in troops to get them out. Right? That's what happens when Republicans run the show. So Democrats have learned their lessons, and they pull this crap where, where Democrats run the show. And, and so petty fascism is going to rule on the campuses before it rules anyplace else. And the media love it. The media are just into it, and so do the politicians. Leftist politicians in Missouri are, are just enjoying it thoroughly. Senator Claire McCaskill, who's a Democrat from Missouri, she's the one. Thank, thank you, Republican Party, for abandoning Todd Akin over a stupid statement, because now this dunderhead is still in the United States Senate. Uh, Claire McCaskill says she's proud, proud of what happened at the University of Missouri. The credit goes to these kids who took a stand and to the football players who went to visit the young man who had gone days without food. And they were motivated and moved by his commitment. And then I was proud that the, it wasn't just the black players that were in that picture. It was the team and the coach that all kind of came together and said, you know, we're one here too, and something needs to happen. There needs to be a reprioritization of how important this problem is on campus. And I'm proud that I think today uh, the university really took a meaningful step towards that. So, so proud. She's so proud. And what's amazing about that, notice the way that she, that she characterized this. This young man who had gone without food. Um, there's food in the building next door. He went without food because he doesn't want food. No one is starving this guy. Okay, no one's starving this guy. By the way, he looked pretty well-fed when he was on CNN, didn't he? He, he, looked, he looked pretty decent a few minutes ago. I assume that that's because he broke his fast and had a magnificent meal. I mean, he wasn't dying any time in here. But it's, it, it is amazing. She, the, 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 everyone united, the, the coach is being paid $3.1 million and who would violate his contract if he didn't get his, his people on the field. That guy joined with the players. Well, there's a shock. There's a shock. 
because he leveraged the university into getting his players back on the field so he can get paid. I mean, there's, there's a giant shock, but no white privilege attaches to him. No white privilege attaches to Claire McCaskill, who, who buys into this mumbo-jumbo. It is, it is truly amazing. And then finally, to cap all of this off, to, to the, the, the media coverage on all these issues is so amazing. To, it, it's, it's, almost, it's almost a parody of itself. Right? If, you, if you had to script this thing, University of Missouri, its football program was famous last year because one of its football players, a guy named Michael Sam, was gay, which no one cares about because he's not a very good football player, and also because no one cares if anybody's gay. This is the United States in 2015. No one cares. Literally, no one cares. Right? You, you making a big deal out of, out of the fact that you love dudes? Fine. No one cares. Okay? We care when you want us to bake cakes for you. But aside from that, aside from forcing me to participate in your gay wedding or, or, or sanction your gay adoption, I don't care at all. You want to have sex with whatever you, you can have sex with the wall. I don't care. But Michael Sam became famous. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And then, of course, he was promptly dropped. He was, he was drafted in the seventh round of the NFL draft even though he was totally unqualified. He was dropped by the, the Rams practice squad. He was picked up by the Cowboys. They dropped him from the practice squad. He then signed up with the Montreal Alouettes in the, in the, in the Canadian Football League and then walked away from the team because he couldn't get his stuff together. And now he's back on TV because University of Missouri is in the news. And so here's Michael Sam extending his 15 minutes of fame by how long is this clip? About 35 seconds? Here, yeah, so here, here's, here's Michael Sam who's now into... He, he actually... He was lucky. He extended his 15 minutes of fame to 15 minutes and 35 seconds. Here we go. Football is not everything. And uh, I believe uh, when I came out, I didn't I didn't do it for the fame or the glory. I oh. did it because, you know, I was tired of hiding mm -hmm. and people standing for what they believe in. I think that's important. Life is important. Uh, football isn't everything. And hopefully it doesn't uh, harm uh, the players uh, careers or uh, in the league. But it just. I, I can't really don't know the answer to that question, really. But I just hope it doesn't do anything to harm their uh, chances to make an NFL uh, roster. Oh, and harm their chances to make an NFL roster. An articulate statement for, from, from, the, from the guy who says that he didn't come out for the fame or the glory, but it's only on TV because he's gay. He's a failed University of Missouri football player. No one cares what he has to say, except that he's gay, and so he was a big national story. Okay, so we move from people, who, black people who are not being victimized to black people who are being victimized. Ben Carson continues to be subjected to the media's scorn and ridicule over not lying at all. Okay, so yesterday we, we played a clip from, from MSNBC with Joe Scarborough and Nicole Wallace and all the rest of the folks over at MSNBC, which is, as I like to call it, ESPN without the footballs. And MSNBC, you know, they were saying to Ben Carson, he's a liar, he's a liar, he's a liar, right? He's just a big liar. And then when, when they were asked by Mark Halperin, can you name a single lie? The, they, they kind of stared at each other in, in dumbfounded amazement because they couldn't. They couldn't name a single lie. Well, it didn't stop them. Joe Scarborough, who is really an atrocious anchor. I mean, Joe Scarborough is, is another one of these faux Republicans who appears on MSNBC. If you've listened to the podcast with any regularity, last week I talked about how these programs tend to book guests. The way they tend to book guests is they book people, Republicans, who they know are not really Republicans and who will give them the, the credibility of objectivity. Right, Joe Scarborough is never going to say MSNBC is a far-left network. Right? He'll never say that because he gets paid like $8 million a year by them. And so he has to maintain this sort of patina of, I'm not a hardcore Republican. So Ben Carson was on MSNBC, and Joe Scarborough just starts basically yelling at him that he's lying, that he's lying. It's, it's pretty amazing. Last Monday, I told the truth to the media. This morning, I'm telling the truth to Ben Carson. You're lying and you need to come out front, and you need to admit it, because it's only going to get worse from here. He's lying. 
Now, Joe Scarborough can't name a single lie that Ben Carson has told, but he wins his point. I mean, by the way, did, how do they actually dress the people who appear on MSNBC? I mean, he looks like he just rolled out of bed this morning in his, in, in his Snuggie, and then they just stuck him on the set. Chris Matthews routinely looks like he wandered drunk out of a bar, and they just sort of sat him down in the chair, and he swiveled him three times, and then he's kind of bouncing his head around with the wild hair, and, and went, why am I here? Where's Michael Isikoff? So, so Joe Scarborough, one of many, attacking Ben Carson. Juan Williams on Fox News, he says that, yeah, Carson embellished his biography, Juan Williams over at Fox News, ripping on Ben Carson, again, based on zero evidence that Ben Carson has lied about anything to this point. This reminds me of a lot of rappers, Chris. You know, they hype, they embellish, they exaggerate for the sake of the presentation, the biography in this case. So with the high school students, his classmates, and I think, Kimberly, people do remember what happens in high school very intensely. I think it turns out he's more Urkel than thug life. Okay, first of all, if Juan Williams isn't black and he says this, he's off the air tomorrow, right? I mean, if a white guy says this, you, you have to imagine he's off the air tomorrow. Uh, but it, he, unless you're talking about Ben Carson, in which case he probably gets a raise, right? But, but the, the, the Urkel thug life, he's a rapper routine uh, from Juan Williams, again, very, very insulting based on no evidence that Ben Carson has lied about anything. And the media are, are just jumping all over this. What frustrates me is some of the Republicans are too. Mike Huckabee is jumping on Ben Carson. Huckabee's campaign has completely stalled out. He's been bumped down to the lower debate. Uh, my theory on why Mike Huckabee and Chris Christie were chosen to move down to the lower debate is that the stage actually has a maximum weight that it can hold. Um, but, but Carson and Christie have been moved down to the lower debate, which will happen tonight. And I don't want to do a debate preview. We'll just do a debate review tomorrow um, when, we, when we go over the, the elements of tonight's debate. But here's Mike Huckabee going after Ben Carson, jumping on the leftist bandwagon, which, by the way, here's my rule. If you jump on a leftist bandwagon based on falsification of facts, based on slurs, you automatically will never get my vote on anything ever again. If you buy into the left's agenda, then you're not a conservative. End of the story. And Mike Huckabee was doing this with regard to Ben Carson. It is a brutal process. I've been through it for 26 years. Right. And life ain't fair. I'm, I'm telling you. But, okay. but I will go on record today and tell you this, Mika. I never hit my mother with a hammer, and I never stabbed anybody. Never wrote about it either. So there you go. At least I'm out there on the record for that. Check. What an obnoxious jerk. I mean, the whole point of Ben Carson's story is that, of course, he underwent an amazing personal transformation when he found Christ. That's his entire story. And he did bad things. And, and again, if this is going to be the way we do this now, then uh, it's funny. The media will sit there and they'll say, oh, check, you know, good for you. You didn't do that. Barack Obama did cocaine in high school. Let me tell you something about people who do cocaine in high school. There's not a person who does cocaine in high school who didn't sell cocaine to somebody else in high school. Seriously, there's not one person. I was in, when I was in high school, there were kids who were doing drugs. There wasn't a single kid who was in high school doing drugs who didn't lend pot to his friend or sell pot to his friend. This is how drugs get passed around. I know that out there in white suburbia, there's this weird idea of how drugs actually work for people who have never actually had friends who did drugs, where they think that there's like one guy. There's just, it's like a central clearinghouse. Like there's a CVS pharmacy for pot down in the middle of the ghetto. And there's one guy who just stands on a street corner with giant bags of pot and hands people pot. And anytime you want pot, you go down and get it. Anytime you want coke, you go down and get it. That's not how these drugs get passed around, particularly, in, particularly not in well-to-do enclaves like Hawaii. It's not like there's one guy who's a dealer and then everybody just goes to that one guy who's the dealer. The, the way that drugs get passed around originally is that one kid gets the drugs and then passes it out to friends or sells to friends and is a conduit for the, the bottom line here is whatever. No one cares about that. But... They'll rip on Ben Carson for having admitted to all of this in his personal story and then admitting to have transformed himself. But Barack Obama just blows it off as I did a little blow in high school and everybody just goes, oh, okay, oh well, oh well. 
Meanwhile, by the way, the White House is saying that Ben Carson totally deserves the media scrutiny. If Ben Carson receives media scrutiny, well, you know, that's just the way it is. Josh Ernest over at the White House, who, uh, again, he's, he and his Dickensian last name, Josh Ernest, is the, is the lying spokesman for the Obama White House. Here we go. He suggested that, that, that Barack Obama had nothing of this kind of scrutiny when he was running for president. Do you, uh, do you agree with that, that Ben Carson has been subject to more scrutiny than Barack Obama? Uh, I don't agree with that statement. Uh, I, mean, I think many of you who have covered uh, you know, both the 2008 campaign and, the, uh, and this campaign, I think, um, can obviously draw your own conclusions based on the work that, uh, that all of you have done. I think the important thing, John, <laughs> is for people to remember, and this is sort of one thing that I have freely said about the ongoing presidential race that I have at times been reluctant to weigh in on, uh, is that this process is good for our democracy. It's not easy to run for president. It shouldn't be. And that people, when they make public comments, uh, are going to have their claims scrutinized, uh, even if they're claims about their own biography. Okay, first of all, Barack Obama's claims about his own biography were not scrutinized dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Also, I love that, that suddenly the White House is embracing the democratic process. The most dictatorial president in American history is now embracing the democratic process and press scrutiny. This is the same president who has declared that the media are out to get him, who has ripped on Fox News and talk radio and has suggested that we need to get rid of the polarization of media in favor of big networks again. The only president in American history who created his own press outlet from inside the White House. You know this, right? The press pool used to take pictures of all these events. Now the White House has its own photographer that takes pictures and releases them to the press pool. This guy is going to lecture us all on how Ben Carson ought to be treated by the media. It is incredible. And just to round all of this together, to wrap all of this up with a nice little bow, the White House was asked today about the, the University of Missouri students barring reporters from taking pictures of them. The White House's comment, they said, we just think it's mostly counterproductive for them to not allow the reporters to cover them. A strong statement in defense of the First Amendment right there, that it's just counterproductive for the protesters. The only thing they care about being the well-being of the protesters and their cause, they don't care one whit, one iota about the general principle of press freedom. But that's the left, the panty-waist fascists at work all the way from University of Missouri to the White House. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 